It looks like everybody's at camp tonight. We definitely want to be praying for our youth that are at Stone Mountain right now, the teenagers gathered together, having a great time. I heard they got there safe, so we praise God for that, and we just want to be praying and seeing what the Lord does with their lives. Zayden was praying and telling us about and proclaiming, you know, before the Lord that every good and perfect thing comes from above and how gracious and loving the Lord is, how perfect he is. And then we get to the book of Judges and we see that we are not and that we are far from it. And so every week I've been telling you the same thing in the book of Judges, but wait, it gets worse. Well, we're just going to keep with it. It's true. Still the same. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to jump into chapter 10, not 50-something verses this week, so we get to have a little slower pace. That's another thing to be thankful for. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, and we pray that you would be speaking to us through your word as you reveal things about ourselves in the book of Judges that we really don't like. And yet, Lord, you show us these eternal truths. You show us things that bring us to a deeper relationship with you, a better understanding of ourselves, and why you've placed us here, and, and even how to live, Lord, in spite of those things. And so we want to thank you in advance for your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start with the first five verses of chapter 10. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shamer, Shamer in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamer. After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which are called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair, Jair died and was buried in Camon. Well, 23 years for Tola and 22 years for Jair, they were judges. They kind of kept things together. That is quite a career. What did they do in that career? I have no idea. It doesn't say. There's nothing there. We talk about 45 years the Lord had raised these guys up in combination. And we also see a hint with Jair that he's not that great of a guy either because if you've got 30 sons, I'm willing to bet that's not the same woman. So he probably has multiple wives, which we do know is common from that era. Remember, there's a difference between proclaiming and describing. So the Lord is not saying that's good. He's just simply describing what happened at that time because he's recording. And we have a couple of things that I want to point out in a couple of verses that apply to us. You know, if you put 20 years into a company or 20 years into a career, that's a big deal. 20 years doing the same thing consistently day in and day out, and you deserve a pat on the back. But in the scheme of things, what is it? Somebody else has that job if you're retired here. Somebody else is running that company. Somebody else is performing that service. They talk about how they used to give out golden watches or you used to have um, retirements and those retirements would take care of you. And if you took care of the company for 20 years, they would take care of you. But in the scheme of things, especially today, we see that's just not true. And you can dedicate your whole life to a career, and nobody knows, and nobody cares. I, in my personal life, experienced this more 
around the military than anything else. You know, you have a 20-year career in the military. I don't care if you're enlisted or if you're an officer. If you did anything, you've achieved rank, you have awards, you have certificates, you have done things. I don't care if you were in the most or the least prestigious job title in the least pre uh, prestigious place. You've done things in that amount of time. And yet, the day you leave, there, your replacement's there. And, it could, and if you think about the history of the United States military and you go back, how many 20-year, 25-year, 30 careers have been put there? And I've, I've told this story once or twice or maybe 37 times. But it's really touched me. And then we'll get to the point here in a second. And that is we used to play uh, basketball for PT, the civilian guys at the Air Force Base. And, I mean, it was brutal. I mean, we were really getting after it. Basketball is an understatement. It's more like war ball is what it was. But there was a guy, he was ballroom dancing. Now, if you heard this story five, 500, 5,000 times, pretend you haven't heard it before. But he's kind of going on the court, and, man, we're getting upset. And so we're like, get out of here, man, get out of here. And then we kind of go to the, it's a wreck, it's a military base, so you go up there and you're like, hey, man, this guy is getting on our court. He's interrupting our game. You know, we come here twice a week, every week. And they said, you don't know, you don't know who that is? He's like, no, it's just some old guy ballroom dancing in the, in the middle of the gym. Well, he, he used to be the base commander, but he retired a couple decades ago. Well, all he was is an obnoxious old man to me, but years before, he was the king of that base. He could stop anyone, he could write tickets, he could command, he could order, everything could be done. What does that have to do with the text here? It's that we put too much emphasis in the wrong places. And I'm going to come back to that as we continue here. And we're going to tie this in later on in the chapter. So now let's go to verse 6. We're going to put a bookmark there and see what it says here in verse 6 by itself. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Man, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. I mean, after everything that Israel's gone through, if you've been with us for months and years, we started in the book of Genesis and we've worked our way all the way up here. We see God's miracles. We see his divine truth, his healing power, his defense of the nation of Israel, his preservation, his delivering them over and over and over again from sickness, from oppression, from slavery. And this is how they repay him. They just forget. They just forget. It's easy for us as Christians to look at them and say, wow, they're so dumb. And you read this long list of these different cults and religions, and you say, that is just so silly. Don't you know who God is? But if you fast forward to the 21st century, this is what many Christians, many people, many human beings do this very thing. This is what they call in modern society being open-minded. You know, you can, you can have any religion you want. You can follow any God you want. You can experiment with different things. And if that works for you, then that's okay. Well, nothing is new under the sun. That's what's happening here in the text. They weren't just abandoning the God of Israel. They weren't just abandoning their history and those truths. They were also going to false gods, and it wasn't one or two. It was anyone that they thought 
that could add something to them. And I would say that having an open-mindedness and expanding your horizons and examining the other religions and philosophies of this world is not a bad thing. Because if you truly investigate it, you will see what is true and what is not. That the Word of God, the Bible, it holds true. Archaeological evidence, historical evidence, manuscript evidence, scientific evidence, and prophetic evidences all show that the Bible stands on its own. The issue is that our heart is deceitfully wicked. We lie to ourselves. Let me put it this way. It's wise to be intelligent, to examine things, to test things. But you can be so open-minded your brain falls out. And so let's change it in a different set of definitions. If you have a person that's suffering from a disease and if it's a loved one, we will do anything to heal them, won't we? I mean, anything to save a loved one from pain and suffering. And if you know that something is going to fix it, let's say, for argument's sake, it's one pill, that this one pill is going to fix it all. This pill works. It's been tried. It's been true. It's been tested. No side effects. This is the way to go. And that person says, that's just too narrow-minded. That's too bigoted. You know, you've, you've been pushing that this whole time. I want to try this one. I'm going to try this exercise. I'm going to try this diet. I'm going to try these other pills. I'm going to try this shot. I'm going to try this and just fill in the blanks. I'm going to try all of them. I'm going to try a little bit of them at a time. And you're looking at them and you're like, listen, listen, stop playing games with that garbage. You're hurting yourself. Do it this way. This will work. We see it's a completely different argument. The issue that we have, though, is that when we're having these discussions with other people, we think we're having a logical tit-for-tat conversation. That's not the case. The Bible tells us that we've been blinded by the enemy, but even beyond that, just human beings in general, we are deceitfully wicked. We will trick ourselves. We will lie to ourselves. I look at chocolate cake... And I say, that is good for me. That makes me feel good. I feel great. And you know what's better than a slice of chocolate cake? Five slices of chocolate cake. Now, half the room is like, yes, Mike, you deserve a break. The other half is like, how dare you? You You're killing yourself. And now everybody's forming an opinion. Well, who's right? You see, our deceitfulness, it begins to reveal itself. Just like the nation of Israel in the book of Judges, it's so easy to say, you guys are so dumb, until we're face-to-face with decisions that we make, and we look ourselves in the mirror, and we say, oh, wait a minute. Am I really doing the right thing here? Why is it that we as people, let's not talk about the nation of Israel, why is it that we as people can feel totally good about something one day and feel so much shame about it the next? We'll use the one that I use all the time, dieting. How is it that I could jump into that chocolate cake like a kid in a candy store one day, and then the next day I take a bite, and I'm just so ashamed with myself? Well, the same thing is true of our spiritual health. Our spiritual health is the same way. One day we could feel shame and guilt and remorse. The next day we're like, heck no, I'm going for it. I deserve this. 
And then we begin to put religious people on a different level when we need to be reminded that every human being is the same. I use this quote from Romans chapter 7 all the time. So tonight I wanted to make sure we read it in its, pop, in its proper context. In Romans 7.15, Paul says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. He continues, If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. So if I'm resisting, I, I'm doing good. But now... It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So we still have this desire to do it, though. For what I know that in me, for I, excuse me, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. You sense the struggle? For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now I do what I will not do. Now if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? What's he saying? He's saying that in me is this desire to do two things. I have the Spirit of God in me. Paul, this is what he's saying. I have the Spirit of God in me that wants to do holy, righteous, good, pure things. But I also have this fleshly, dark desire in me that wants to do terrible deeds, that revels in it that likes it, and they war against themselves. And I want us to hone in on the fact that this is the Paul, the apostle, saying this. So if he's going through it, he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's seen the miracles. He's performed miracles in the name of Jesus. This is as good as it gets. Wrote the 13 epistles and the book of Hebrews. That's right, I said it. Now, he wrote those things, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And if he's warring with those things, aren't you going to have these... Struggles? Yes. Yes, you will. You know, I just told you about a judge of Israel a little while ago who had 30 sons on 30 donkeys. We look at King David. We look at Paul. We look at Peter. We look at the patriarchs. We look at people that we look up to. We put them on this ridiculous pedestal like they're superhuman. And we realize they're just humans. Only Jesus Christ is above all those things who's holy and perfect and true, and none of us are. And so we want to hone in on our relationship with God. We want to have Him tell us what is true and what is not, knowing that He's not putting us under bondage, He's not putting us under rules, He's not making us do anything. We are not His slaves. He has set us free. And in that freedom, we grow and we experience new things. Now let's read verses 7 through 9. Now that we know Israel is choosing to go the way of the world, they're choosing all these false gods, they're choosing all these other things, they're trying to be, quote-unquote, open-minded, multicultural. What happens? Verses 7 through 9. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. 
From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And so Israel chooses all of these different gods from these different cultures. And then in us, in our deceitfully wicked minds, we would say, oh, God, why did you do this to them? Why did you oppress them? That's just so mean. Aren't you a God of salvation? You were hot against them. You were angry. You're such an angry God. That's an Old Testament God. And then the atheist and the agnostic, they come attack us. Oh, he's so mean. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All he did was give them what they wanted. They wanted the God of the Philistines, and they gave them the Philistines. They wanted the God of the Amorites, and he gave them the Amorites. Like, listen, this is what you want. This is what you're going to get. Let's go back to something a little more humorous. When I decide to eat six pieces of chocolate cake, how do I feel afterwards? Spoiler alert, not good. (laughs) It just gives me what I asked for. I asked for that. You go to that bottle in the middle of the night, you get drunk. That's what you wanted. How do you feel afterwards? Well, sometimes I feel great. Sometimes I feel shame. Okay, what if you continue to go to it? week after week, year after year, month after month, and over time. Have you ever sat with somebody who's on dialysis? They say, man, that's such an angry God who allowed this to happen to me. Why did he do it? He gave you free will. He gave you free will. We are not free from the consequences of our choices. And many of those choices, you see it here in the text, What happened to the nation of Israel? They were harassed, they were oppressed, and they were severely distressed. I like that. It's kind of poetic. That helps. They were harassed, oppressed, and severely distressed. I'm in this weird place now. I talked about it on Sunday where I'm I'm starting to run now. And now I calculate everything by calories. It's like, oh, man, I had a key lime-flavored cheesecake the other day. It was 350 calories a slice. So I'm putting it in my app. Like, how many miles do I have to run? Oh, no, that's too much pain. I'm not doing that. What if we did that with every decision in our life? I'm going to pop these pills. Hold on. Let me put it in the calculator. Ooh. I don't want these spiritual, emotional, physical consequences from this. Man, I'm going to smoke this cigarette. These cigarettes feel good. You can't tell me what to do. I'm liberated. I'm free. Are you? Let's put it into the calculator. On this date in 2047, you're going to be diagnosed with lung cancer, heart disease. Fill it in. How would you feel about it? Put it in the calculator. Harassed, oppressed, and severely distressed. The nation of Israel went to false gods that are not real. That's the point. We want to focus on God being hot or the angry God. And nobody here is disappointed in the fact that the nation of Israel is worshiping, they are serving, they are contemplating and learning about things that do not exist. Interesting. Well, let's come back and let's see this conversation that God has with Israel, verses 10 through 14. 
And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Do I not deliver you from the Egyptians? Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you and cried out to me, and I delivered you. And you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. And this is a very important verse. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Let's, let's point out a couple things here. 18 years of oppression, now Israel cries out to the Lord. And the Lord says, no, no, I'm not delivering you anymore. I've delivered you enough. Let them deliver you. I mean, we think that's funny in one sense. But Buddha is not going to deliver anybody. Confucius, nope. Muhammad, not going to happen. Any more than if I gave you a placebo for your illness or your sicknesses. It may sound good. It may look good. I could give you a pill bottle, and it could look like a real pill bottle. Every pill in there could look like it's good. It could look like it's healing you. I could charge you $1,000 a pill for it. We'll charge it through your HMO, your PPO, your government insurance, your business insurance, whatever it is. I could have a guy in a white coat in a medical facility give it to you, and you could say, yeah, this has got to be it. Everything checks out. This is legit, and you take it. And it's a placebo. It does nothing. A placebo means it's a fake. It's empty. And there's a lot of, quote-unquote, spiritual things out there. There's a lot of philosophies out there. There's a lot of psychology out there, some good, a lot of it bad. Now, how do you know if it's good or not? How do you know if it's real or not? Well, God issues the, ta- the challenge here. Let them deliver you. Let that false God deliver you. Let that false philosophy, let that stuff, let that stuff work. And I, I study a lot of things, a lot of leadership, philosophy. I study a lot of psychology because I'm a weird dude. But ultimately, I pass it through a very simple test. If I'm holding someone's hand as they're about to die, does this work? Aside from Christ, no. No. Well, you could live your best life, just have a good philosophy, just have a good um, positive outlook, the law of attraction. If you could outwork it, you could be smarter, or you could do these drugs, or you could do this and that and the other thing, and all these experiences. Maybe you should travel, go all through all the world. Maybe you just need to make more money. Maybe you need to make less money. Maybe you need to go pray in a monastery. Maybe you need to go in a cave. Maybe you need to just sell everything you have. Maybe you need multiple partners. Maybe you need one partner. This is what Israel's doing. They're going all over the place trying to experiment. But at the end of the day, when you hold their hand as they're passing, where is the God of the Philistines or the Amorites or the Moabites? Where are the drugs and the alcohol, the experiences? Where's the philosophies, the psychology? Only Jesus can walk you through the valley of the shadow of death 
because he's gone through it himself. He is the only one that can deliver us. Well, Israel is not in the place yet that they need to be until now, in verses 15 through 18. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is this man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So two points, and then we're going to come back to a circle. Point number one, they were sorry before, but now they've repented. They tell God, do to us whatever seems best to you. If you're going to abandon us, whatever. If you're going to deliver us, great. Please, please, just help us. Just help us. They are now trusting in God's mercy without a promise. This is very important. They are trusting in God's mercy without any promises. No promises of deliverance. No promises of victory. They're just begging. Lord, just help us. We trust you. And then how gentle the Lord is. See, we focused earlier on he was hot. The Lord was angry. The Lord was disappointed in the nation of Israel. But we don't focus on his gentleness, his mercy, his forgiving character. He knows that they are choosing death. They are choosing falsehood. They're literally choosing to spend their money and their health, their well-being, to bow down to false wooden little statues thinking there's power in that, instead of trusting truth and love, the source of all creation, light itself and truth. That is God. They want to turn away from it. And yet, how gentle the Lord is here. How powerful He is, but how gentle. You see, the Lord could wipe out Israel. He could just be done with them. As He says, I'm done with you. I've delivered you so many times, I'm over it. He could leave them in bondage, but he doesn't because the Bible tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. That passes the hand-holding test. When you're at the hospital and you're with that loved one and you hold their hand and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter how bad, no matter how good, no matter how popular, no matter what their life was like, how many 20 years careers they put in, no matter who replaces them the next day, that the Lord is powerful, but He is gentle and loving and gracious. And it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. And He says that if you trust in Him, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. And He showed us because He did it. And people's lives were changed forever. The other point that I want to point out is, you know, earlier we talked about these two deliverance, these two judges for 20-something years each. They invested their whole careers. And they were replaced one by the other. And we have no idea what they did. And the majority of us will live lives of obscurity just like them. 
The majority of us, we, we watch the movies, we watch the shows, we read uh, Bible stories and the history of the Bible, and we always place ourselves as the main character. We always think of ourselves as the popular one. We always think of ourselves as the well-known. But for almost all of us here, myself included, nobody's going to know who we are. Nobody's going to know what we did. Nobody's going to remember it. We're going to be replaced. You've already been replaced maybe a couple times. But God knows. And he never forgets. But the things that we worship, the things that we go out there, the experience we talk about, they pass away. They're like a vapor. They disappear. And you realize our lives are like a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. But when we trust in God, the true and living God, He teaches us that He loves us so much, sinner and saint, because we saw with Paul the Apostle, right? There's none none good, none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us, He's counted every hair on our head. He loves us so much. He knows all of our thoughts. He's collected them. And He has given Himself to give us His Spirit so that we could live abundant, grace-filled, joy-filled, comforted lives in connection with the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. And we realize when we trust in God's mercy and we put ourselves in this position of whatever seems best to you, Lord. If you want me to be anonymous, great. You want me to be popular, whatever. Because there's nothing good in me, Lord. I can fake it for a little while. I can feel like I'm a good, health, a righteous, good person. Uh, but give me a little while, Lord. I'll, I'll reveal to myself that that's just not the truth. And that's grace. That's when you are able to live by grace, that unmerited, unearned favor of God. And you will stop going to the falsehoods of this world, not because you're limited or shut off or you're not allowed, because it says prohibited but because your tastes change. I don't want it. I want what works. I want the real thing. I want to have a legitimate relationship with God. I want to be connected to the life-giving source of the universe. I want to be filled with truth and reality. And I want it to pass the ultimate test. And that's what it is to be walking with God. The Lord here in chapter 10 He shows us that he's going to use fallen, broken people. But ultimately, it's it's the Lord that gathers them together, camped in Mizpah, it says, as they're hiding. And how is this chapter leading us? It leads us into next week. It gives us a nice little cliffhanger. It said, who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. I just think it's sad that Israel's looking for a man. Why aren't they looking for the Lord? Because they want it, they want the easy way out. Well, that's reassuring because it shows us, even when we're repentant, even when we're seeking out the Lord, even when we're getting ourselves in a good place, even when we're remorseful, we're still messed up. And I think that that should help us to have our authentic relationships. We don't want fake Christians here in this place. We don't want religious people. 
We want people that are deeply in love with Jesus and have a close relationship with the true and living God. That's what we really want. And so this evening, we're going to close in prayer. We're going to spend some time praying, interceding for one another, growing together, and talking to the King of the universe. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up the rest of this evening to you, and we pray that you would guide and direct us, that you would teach us and use us. You reveal to yourself to us as you see fit, and we just thank you for who you are and pray that you would teach us even more in Jesus' name. Amen.